I love glory bumps in the morning. Y'all ever get glory bumps? That's, <laughs> that's goose bumps that the Spirit gives you, glory bumps. But anyway, maybe I'm far too Southern. But I get them, and I like it. They start on the back of my neck, then they go down my arms, and it's good. It's good. My name is Matthew, if I haven't met you. Um, one of the pastors here at Origins. And man, today, super grateful, Pendleton Street, that you are here. Um, like when Marty and I were talking about all of this, it, was all, it almost seemed like what we were going to teach on, it's not that it's inconsequential, but like the big deal is that two faith families, um, demographically different, historically different, all of those things can come together and worship as one family. And that, that is a big, big deal. Um, I think probably for the Origins family, uh, a lot of you didn't grow up in the church, and I celebrate that, that you've come to know Jesus recently um, in the past, you know, yesteryears of your life, the recent ones. Um, but for the rest of us, we've seen churches compete. You know, we've seen them compete. We've seen them uh, talk about mine and ours and theirs and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I don't know if you've had it sicken you, but it's sickened me. And, and it is a painful thing to know that people that are gathered together in the name of Jesus, even if they're across the street from each other, for some reason, uh, feel the need to talk about mine and ours um, or mine and theirs, when in reality, it's all of Jesus's. And we're one big family, different local expressions of that, and that needs to be celebrated, it needs to be emphasized, it needs to be pushed, um, and this is one way we get to do that in the city today. So thank you guys for being here and being a part. Uh, today, the goal, yes, is two faith families uh, that are uh, similar in Jesus but different in a lot of other ways getting together to worship, uh, and in that, we're going to just, man, we're going to talk about what is like the church, what is that? Um, I, I talked about last week briefly that a lot of our folks, uh, maybe sometimes when we speak in Christianese and we say, Tyler, do you, not Tyler, this is not what we say, but Tyler, do you hear that? Is it feedback or is it just my ears? Oh, it's over there? Oh, man, they're partying. Never mind. That's fine. Let, let those kids party, man. Have at it. Um, we talk about the big C church and the little C church. I realize that a lot of people hear that and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I failed capitalization in elementary school. But today, we hope we're going to talk about that a little bit, and then we're going to talk about what cooperation, participation, and partnership looks like. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screen. Open to Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. Man, they are. They are getting after it over there. I used to think that when we moved here from the spill of beans, we wouldn't hear our kids anymore, but now I'm kind of grateful that we get to. Um, I love that they get to, to worship together and all that stuff. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, give you a little bit of background. There's going to be a therefore at the very beginning of the passage that we're going to read. And so at the end, we're going to kind of backtrack and talk about what it's there for. Uh, but we're going to jump right in. And this is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's talking basically to a group of people that were predominantly called Gentiles. Um, and that meant like another people other than the Jews uh, at its most basic form. And, and he's going to tell them that as a result of what Jesus has done, uh, that there's no longer Gentile and Jew, there's no longer slave, there's no longer free, there's no longer male, there's no longer female, even though those things are there, but instead there's one family in that place. Um, and so the goal for this, uh, he starts off by, after he says therefore, and he gives a little bit of things, he says remember. And today, I just want us to worship through remembering a few things and that we get to celebrate some things and maybe uh, between Marty and myself just kind of pushing us in the way that we think about what church is and what it should do. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump, jump in. God, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you. Uh, God, we thank you that you allow us to hold it, to hide it in our hearts, uh, that you allow it to change us and shape us 
and make us into a people and individuals that look more and more like Jesus. Um, God, thank you for his sacrifice on the cross and his sacrifice of just living a life that he did, uh, even though he deserved so much more. Uh, God, thank you because of that we can call you dad and we can call one another brother and sister and family. Uh, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to start in verse 11. Uh, we're, let's go ahead and read 11 through 22, and then we'll go back and kind of break it down in chunks. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. I love that phrase. Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, uh, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you, have, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord." In whom, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so we start off with this idea of him saying, therefore, he says, remember. Uh, he calls attention to the fact that they are now living differently from once they once, from who they once were. And we're going to see this term Gentiles, and, it, and also it's going to kind of reference the idea of being Jewish. For us, there's probably not a lot of cultural significance for us being Gentiles and other people being Jews. But what we can do with this is we can say, hey, uh, there are people that we know, people in our life in which hostility exists. It's just the nature of being man and woman. Uh, there will always be a, a tendency to talk about mine and theirs. There's always going to be tension between mankind. And so now, in the very beginning, when he's talking to mostly Gentile believers in Ephesus, he says, I need to do this. Before I can lay anything else out, I need you to remember uh, that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. He said, remember this. Before you are, before you were the way you are now, you weren't just separated from people, you were separated from God. You were separated from God. You weren't just separated from the people of Israel, you were separated from the founder of all things, God himself. And so remember that. I think it's important for us, even when we're talking about what the church is, what the church does, how we're supposed to cooperate, that we need to remember that at one time, uh, we were not in a family like this. We didn't have one Father, one Spirit, one Savior, one family. It, it, it did not exist for us. Because of sin, it was not there. We were cut off. We were strangers and aliens in relation to God. Strangers and aliens are strangers and sojourners. It depends on your translation. But like we were cut off from God himself because of sin. And he's telling the Gentiles, before I go any further, remember that. Remember at one time you were completely 
utterly cut off. And I tell you now, as Pendleton Street and as Origins, we too need to remember that at one time, before we were the way we are now, hopefully, if you have called on Christ, you've abandoned sin, you have trusted in His life, His words, His death, and His resurrection to make you right with God, remember that at one time that was not the case. You were cut off. There was no relationship. There was no family there like exists now. He says, so remember this. And, and then he goes a little bit further, and he's talking about, remember that you were strangers and aliens. He says, but in verse 13, I want to update you on where you are now. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who, have, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh, dividing wall of hostility. He said, that's how you were then, but how you are now as a result of Jesus, you've been brought in. You've been grafted in. You've been adopted, as Romans would say. Family has been made where family was not. We got to celebrate that this week with the Philippes as Lucia was officially adopted into the, the, the Philippe family, and it was awesome. Like, we got to go and see, like, the gospel lived out through adoption. Uh, this 15-year-old girl from Guatemala who is, is amazing and awesome and bubbly and just, she's all of those things. And to see her grafted into the Philippe family, I don't think there's a better expression of the gospel. Like, physically to watch that. And to see, to be honest, the judge was the best judge that I could possibly imagine in that situation. She got choked up. Everybody in the room got choked up. Um, and, and even Nico got a little choked up. And that's a lot to say for French people. You know, French people, they don't cry unless the croissant falls. But he, you know, he, he got a little choked up. They're not here today. So, Nico, if you're listening to this, good, good job for you. And we got to watch that. And he's reminding the Gentiles, Paul here, he's reminding them, that's exactly what happened to you. You were strangers and aliens, but as a result of the blood of Christ, who is the author of the peace that we now have, the bringer of the peace that we now have, he brought you in. You're no longer strangers and aliens to God. You're, you're one of his. And for us, like if we stopped right there, that would be worth celebrating to have a room full of people that have called on Jesus to make us known and to know God. We get to celebrate that we're no longer cut off we're no longer alienated, but now we're family. Gathered together under one Father with one Savior, one Spirit and dwelling, making one family. It doesn't matter where you worship as long as these things hold true, which we'll talk about in a minute. And he said not only did he bring you in, but he says that in verse 14 it says, He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. The dividing wall of hostility here, it's not talking about the dividing wall of hostility between people, but it's talking about the dividing wall, which is sin, of hostility between us and God. He said Jesus broke that down. And he said in him and in his work, uh, he's going to take the people that were far off from each other after breaking down the wall of hostility between us and God. Now he's going to break it down between us and bring us together. The two groups of people here were, were Jews and Gentiles. Jews, the people of God by, uh, by descent, and then the people outside of that, wherever they were from, uh, there was a lot of tension there. And so imagine in our life, like Jew-Gentile doesn't make a lot of sense, but there, there's plenty of tension that we walk in amongst people. There's plenty of tension between two different churches that both claim Jesus, which is absurd. Like I think if we've heard the gospel, like to be honest, if, if you have tension between someone else in another church that is preaching Jesus, you're in sin. I'm in sin. Because that's not the way that God ordained it. That's not his desire. It says he's taking what was multiple and he's making it one. If we're living in any way that is different than that or contrary to that, it, it's sin. 
And so maybe we need to call sin, sin today. Maybe, maybe that's us. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. But, but if it is, we call it sin, and we do with sin what we need to do with sin. We confess, we repent, we confess to someone else, and we thank God that he forgives us of that, and we move on, and we don't intend to return to it. Said So he's broken down the wall of hostility between us and God, and through the abolishing of the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Peace between us and God, but peace between us and one another. It's a big deal worth celebrating. And might reconcile us both to God, both parties, Jews, Gentiles, all people in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility of both kinds. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, the Gentile and the Jew. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so then he reminds them of all the things he's been telling them in verse 19. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so he said, look, as a result of Jesus, here's the bottom line, your family. That's it, your family. We talk about a lot that Jesus did not come to redeem a person. He came to redeem a people unto himself. And we have to remember that. We have to celebrate that. And to be honest, we have to insist on that. Like we have to fight for that. Like I love what Andrew, uh, Andrew he preached in uh, November while we were gone to Guatemala. And, and he just made this confession that there for a while, him and Lexi, and they're on their way to the Clemson game right now. I'm not calling it the LSU game. I'm calling it the Clemson game. Uh, they're on their way to that game. Um, he made the statement that at one point they felt like it was time for them to move on from Origins, and apparently somebody sat down with him and said, well, um, have, you, have you tried to get to know people? Because they had a complaint that people just aren't you know, reaching out to us, and we feel kind of left out. And somebody said, well, well, maybe you should do the reaching out. Man, here's the thing about family. Never easy. Uh, it's, it's rarely clean. It's rarely simple. It's rarely... Uh, there's rarely a lack of mess with family. And that means that sometimes we clean up the mess and a lot of times we just fight for it. And that means that it's on, the burden is on me and it's on you to initiate family as well. Jesus created it in the work of the cross, but it's up to us, uh, not in a salvific kind of a way, but in a way of pushing it forward. It's up to us to insist on it and work for it, fight for it, do all of those things. We have to do that with family. And that means whether they're in this expression of a local congregation or another. We fight for it. We insist upon it. He said, so you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're family. You're fellow citizens uh, and the saints and members of the household of God. And then in verse 20, he says this. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Then he takes the opportunity to remind them. And he's like, by the way, this family that you're a part of, the family that we fight for, that we insist on, you didn't make it. You didn't create it. As a matter of fact, uh, as much as we insist on it and as much as we fight for it, we don't even really hold it together. Jesus does. Why? Because it's his. It says the apostles and the prophets, they laid a foundation for us to understand, but it says Jesus, Jesus himself, Christ Jesus, he's the cornerstone. This was way back, uh, this was even talked about in Isaiah, except 1 Peter. Peter even talked about it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He used these building terms. A cornerstone was a really big deal. It was even more important than the foundation, to be honest, because the cornerstone was the thing that set the whole shape of a home. And if the cornerstone was no good, everything would fall. It talks about it made the, it made the, uh, the process of building level, and it was like a plumb line. I don't know if you've ever used a plumb line, but a plumb line is just a string and a weight, and it's dictated by gravity. That line never changes. And when it does, a house crumbles. 
If you build a house and it's no longer plumb, the top is sitting out to the side, guess what? Eventually that house is going to fall. He said that Jesus, being the cornerstone, he makes sure that that house is straight. He makes sure that it's level. He makes sure that it's plumb. This family that we've been grafted into, it's his, not ours. We get to enjoy the benefits. Uh, we get to push the benefits. We get to sing the benefits. But at the end of the day, it is Jesus' house. It is Jesus' family. And as a result of that, what it should push us to do, it should push us to worship all the more. The outside world, the dying world, is clamoring to belong, is clamoring for family, is clamoring for what we have been granted through the blood, the work, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as a result, man, we should celebrate it, uh, we should talk about it, we should live in it, and we should insist on it. And at the same time, we should worship God as a result of it. Family's a big deal. And I realize, man, I get it. Like, I grew up, I grew up blessed to have an amazing, crazy family. Like, I, I talk about the fact that my mom's crazy all the time. She is. She's crazy as a loon, but she's awesome. And for all the quirks that my father has, and they're numerous, we never doubted a couple things. Number one, that they wanted us to know Jesus. We never doubted it. We never doubted that they loved us and they wanted the best for us. And I understand a lot of people don't have that. I get it. So guess what? We have the responsibility all the more to talk about the beauty and the glory of what God has made through Jesus by grafting us not just to him but to one another. Don't fight it. Don't talk about competition. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. In whom, talking about Jesus being the cornerstone, the whole structure being joined together, grows into the holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The last thing he tells us, he says, not only are you a family as a result of Jesus, not only has Jesus and only Jesus redeemed you, he says, but now, the collective, you are the dwelling place of God himself. If we didn't feel the weight and the responsibility of this already, we should now. He said, you, not just as individuals, but as the collective, you are now the temple, the dwelling place of God himself. I don't know that we've ever thought about that, but the church, capital C church, as well as the lowercase c church, we are the place where God dwells here on earth. The temple was always the place where, A, people went to worship God, B, people went to make sure that they were right with God, and C, where the very Spirit of God rested here on earth. After Jesus came, the temple uh, was no longer needed in structure, but the structure changed, and it was placed in people. But the same needs are still there. Where do we go to worship? Here. Not really here, but here. Where do we go to make sure that we're right with God? Same answer here. Where's the dwelling place of God? Same answer. Here. The only thing that's changed is it's no longer a building. It's a people. And that's crazy. I mean, that is absolutely certifiably nuts to think that God trusts us to house his presence here on earth. And by the way, it's the only way that the Great Commission is possible. It's the only way that making disciples is possible. It's the only way that living a victorious life is possible. It's the only way that man can overcome sin because we can't do it in ourselves. It has to be through God because God dwells in us personally, physically, and bodily. It's the only way that any of it's possible. So we celebrate. 
So at all places, he's saying you were strangers and aliens, but you're not anymore. Celebrate it. Hostility, gone. Between God, between people, gone. Live like family. Remember that it was Jesus who did this, not you. Remember that it's his family, not yours. Live in it, celebrate it, love it, and then remember this. Not only are we family, but we're the very dwelling place of God. Huge. The implications could be like a 17-month series. (laughs) But we got one day. Let me get back to that therefore really quickly. The therefore, in chapter 2, verse 10, I'm not going to read through all of these, but a couple things. The question will come up, okay, well, who's in the church? Okay, who, who is this? Like, if we're talking about this, it's not a structure, it's not a sign, it's none of those things, it's not a membership charter. Who is it? Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 lays this out for us, and we're not going to read it all. Go back and read it for yourself. But it reminds us of a couple things. Number one, it reminds us that at one point we were all dead. We have to recognize that. Dead because of sin. We have to realize it. We were dead. Our sin kept us from God. See that, know that, understand it. Secondly, uh, we have to know that it was God who saved us, not us who saved ourselves. God who was rich in mercy. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, God being rich in mercy, man, made us alive together with Christ. By grace through faith. His working uh, to make us trust him. By grace through faith. His work, not our own. But then, chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only were we dead, we have to see that. Not only do we have to understand that salvation is a work of God, not a work of man, but we have to understand that what he's saving us into is mission. The full gospel says that we weren't just saved so that we can come and sit. The full gospel says that we were saved so that we can now be on mission with God that he created before us to call all men to himself. All men to himself. So what does all this mean to us? Um, I think there are three quick things, and I'm going to hit them and and turn it over uh, to Pastor Marty. It means that if we're family, we need to live like it. That if we have been brought from death to life by Jesus and only Jesus, we need to live like family. And there's a lot of implications there. But we know what family should look like. We kind of do, even if it's skewed because of sin. We know what family should look like. We know that we serve, we love, we do all those things. We talked about it last week. In 2020, we need to look forward and find ways, insist on ways to serve and love one another like Jesus. The new commandment that he gave us, love one another like I have loved you. That, yeah, that's what family does. We need to live like that. And we need to take care of the needs of the saints first, and then we need to let it flow out. And if we do that, like we said, if we do that, it is our best mode of evangelism that the world will ever see if we love each other well. Because they will see Jesus in us. They will see something as peculiar, something as odd, something as countercultural, something that doesn't look like the rest of the world. And they will ask questions, and the Spirit will use it. Live like family. Obviously, we can't know everyone in the Big C Church, but we can know these people in the local expression of the church. And so we get to know the people who God has placed us with in the local expression of the church. Does that mean you're going to find a perfect church? Absolutely not. But does it mean that you can find a place where God's going to grow you and equip you to do the work of Jesus? Yes. Find that. Find that. Live there. Second is this. Um, if we're going to live like family, uh, we need to be unified in, unified in vision for God's purpose, understanding what church is and what church is not for. Church is not to meet uh, your social needs and to fill your social calendar. I hate to admit it. It's not. It's not to make sure that you have friends in your new city. It's not to make sure that, uh, that every little thing you need is taken care of. But here's what the, the mode and the need and the goal of the church is, to make disciples who know Jesus who are going to make disciples who know Jesus, period. End of story. Now, in that, there's a lot of things that we get to do. 
We get to invest in one another. We get to equip one another. We get to love one another in good and bad and ugly, all of those things. But the goal of the church, plain and simple, if we, if we call it anything else, we're wrong and we're in sin and we've made church something it's not. It is to make disciples, period. That's it. And then the third thing I would say is this. Uh, we have to be committed. If we've been made family by the blood of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the words of Jesus, man, if he's done all of that so that we can be really together, we have to be committed. And, and I know commitment is not a good word these days. It's, it's just not popular. You know, it's, it's, it's just not. But it's real. And it's entirely necessary. We're family. We're family. One God, the Father, one Savior, Jesus, one Spirit that dwells in us has made one family. Adopted in that we can never get out of. Permanent. Take full advantage. Be family. Marty's going to continue for us. And uh, again, thank you guys uh, for being here today. You can go stool or no stool, sir, however you choose. Thank you. Did, did y'all know you are going to get two sermons today? My name is Marty, uh, Marty Price, pastor at Penland Street, and we are grateful for the privilege to worship with you guys. One of the great joys that we have, we meet at the Hilton. Our congregation gathers at the Hilton over close to the mall, and one of the joys that we have there is we can't always be there. Sometimes they tell us that they're committed to someone else, and we don't have space, so we get a privilege that few churches actually get. We get to actually go as a congregation and worship with other congregations. And we've been able to worship with other congregations over the last several years in various and different places. And it's been a great blessing for us. It's an unusual experience when you say our church is going to go meet with another church. And one of the things that it has done for me personally, I think for many of our people, is, is it's helped us to realize that we're not the only church in Greenville. When you come to the same place and you see the same faces and you see the same people and you have the same order of service and you get acclimated and enculturated and to an identity, which is not a bad thing. I believe in many, many ways that is a very strong and necessary thing that we have as the body of Christ. But you don't, sometimes you don't, we are actually forced to and have the privilege of stepping outside of that comfort zone and outside of that which we are accustomed to, to come and to be a part of how another congregation worships, to join our congregations together in worship. And it is a great blessing from God because one family matters. To recognize that there is one Father, that there is one Son, that there is one baptism, one Holy Spirit who indwells within us, and then to see the expression of that as we come together in worship, I just believe it's very vital for us because we tend to get isolated. Just as no Christian is designed to live in isolation, we're designed to live in family. We're designed to live in relationships. Just as no Christian is designed to live in isolation, I believe that no congregation is designed to live in isolation. That God places multiple congregations in a city that are unique and that are distinct uh, that are complete in and of themselves. It's not that they're lacking. They have the Holy Spirit. They have God. They have everything that they need, but complete in themselves. And yet when we come together and recognize that we are on the same mission to glorify God by making mature disciples in this city and in this world, that God gets glorified when congregations work together and serve together. I began to look through the New Testament and say, all right, what, is there this congregational partnership idea in the New Testament? 
and it is throughout the New Testament. Paul was always connecting local churches, whether it was sending greetings from members of one community to another or sending letters of recommendation or references for travel and encouraging people to receive people from other congregations, requests for hospitality. I love how Paul starts his letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. They were partnering not only with Paul and his work and his ministry and those that he was working with, they were partnering with other churches, as we'll see in just a few moments. Later in his letter, Paul drills down with more specifics of how the church at Philippi partnered with him. And in Philippians 4, toward the end of the book, he says, it was kind of you, this is verse 14 and following, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We are a family, a family of faith given new birth. What, what Matt just talked about, Ephesians chapter 2, brought to life, placed into a family, a partnership, a fellowship. But we also have a shared mission. In Acts chapter 2, last week we started our series our series is called Under Orders, and it is what has God commanded or, or given us to do as believers, as Christians, not only be a part of a church, but what does God lead then that congregation to be a part of? And we looked at the miraculous launch of the church, and when you get in Acts chapter 2, you see that they were meeting together, and they were praying, and they were breaking bread together, and we share life, but it's not simply to sit down and enjoy a meal together, even though that's really important. Don't, don't, don't underestimate the importance of that. But we work together in obedience and under God's authority. So we have the local expressions of the body of Christ, each one complete, each one unique. But there is a danger. The danger is that churches, good churches, strong churches, can develop this isolation or territorial mentality. Um, Chuck Swindoll, in a sermon years ago, used an illustration that I like. Um, I'm a hot weather guy, just in case you're wondering. This is a perfect winter, 60 degrees, sunshine, and this is great. And my wife and I just got back from Michigan this week. We moved a daughter, son-in-law, and some of the grandkids up, up north, and it was cold. It, it was really cold. Now, we went prepared for the cold, and it was good, but it's, it's kind of nice to go from 21 degrees, high winds, snow blowing across the road, to 60 degrees and sunshine. But Chuck Swindoll used the illustration of porcupines in winter. As Christians, we live in a harsh environment like a porcupine in winter. It's cold, and so they huddle together for warmth. And so when we live in a harsh environment, yes, we can come together from time to time 
and get closer to one another. But what happens when you spend any time in close proximity? Like porcupines, we begin to jab each other and prick each other and irritate each other, and then we move apart. And he described churches and Christians as perpetually in this dance of being in a hostile environment, coming together, and then being irritating to one another and moving apart, and coming together and moving apart, and coming together and moving apart. And that is not the New Testament idea. It is not God's plan for the congregation. It is for individuals, for us to unite our hearts together under the authority of God, but it is also for congregations to be on mission, not territorially in competition with each other, but to be on mission side by side, hand in hand, arm in arm, to accomplish God's purpose, to able to do more together than we can do distinct or separately. Years ago, post-World War II, Greenville had a big baby boom. People were post-World War II. This is the late 40s, early 50s. Uh, and the Greenville Baptist Association came to Pendleton Street Baptist Church, and they said, we believe that we need some new churches planted. We need a church planted just on the north side of town in Taylor's area. Will you guys help sponsor that church? And the leadership at Pendleton Street at that time began to research that, and we prayed, and I've got all the documentations on this fascinating reading. And, uh, and we brought it to the congregation. The church said, yes, we want to be a part of this. And so we got underway to plant a church up in the Taylors area. Now, after uh, much discussion and prayer, we were moving forward. However, soon we received a letter from a local Baptist church, whose name I will not call at this point in time, that was close to the area of the plant. Among other things included in the letter was this statement. We feel God has placed us here to reach this community. And another church is definitely not needed. Indeed, it will be detrimental to the growth of our own congregation. Now, there is so much wrong in that simple statement that flies into the face of not only the underlying philosophy and theology, but the mission of what it means to be on mission for Christ. We need to guard against territorialism, and how do we do that? We do that by becoming passionate about building the kingdom, not just our own castles in the kingdom. Other churches are not the enemy. Other churches that love God, that have a high value for Scripture, that preach the gospel, that live the gospel, that love one another, are not the enemy. We need strong local congregations joyfully partnering together with other local congregations in order to reach a city with the gospel. Well, how do we do that? And this is, this is really quick. This will, this will be short, guys. But it's all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Matt just said. We, at one time, were dead to God separated from him by sin, destined not only to live life in futility now, but to face in eternity, separated from God until God broke through with the gospel. Somebody shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit brought conviction. And you responded, responded in repentance and faith. And he brought you to life. And you became something that you have never been before. A temple of the Spirit of God. Alive to God. On mission. Commissioned. New. A new person in Christ Jesus. Do you remember that? Don't you want everyone to experience that? There are people all around us. Man, walk up and down these streets. You live in these neighborhoods? You drive up and down these roads and, and walk up and down these roads or run up and down these roads praying for the people who live in these homes and these houses? We need to be careful that we do not establish boundaries that are ungodly boundaries that prohibit and prevent and hamper the 
the, uh, reaching into these neighborhoods and in these communities, into these homes, in these families, and these individual lives with the gospel of Christ, with the gospel as the foundation. It keeps whatever congregations do from becoming like many once vibrant ministries that began to assume the gospel and then they began to ignore the gospel. And now they may be doing nice things, but they have no real impact for the kingdom of God. The gospel unites leaders and churches in a way that no philosophy or tradition or task or mission ever could. People who understand their need and their desperate dependence upon God's grace are naturally drawn to one another. So just a few things from Paul's note to the Philippians. First of all, they were kind. <laughs> they were kind to one another. They displayed that kindness and open hearts and generosity, the expression of grace. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once again. The work that Paul was engaged in in those churches, establishing the church and the leadership in Thessalonica and the other churches across Macedonia, all of those congregations were strengthened because this one congregation saw a need and responded and partnered with the gospel. We can do more together than alone. The goal is to facilitate and enhance the ministries of local churches, not to take their place. A kingdom partnership is a gospel-driven relationship between interdependent local churches that pray, that work, that share resources strategically to glorify God through goals they could not advance alone. And what is the result of that? The congregations are blessed. God moves and works in the congregations. Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He says, I am well supplied. I received from Epaphroditus a gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. What happens when we open our minds and our hearts to recognize who we are, one family, who we are under one head, the head of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, accomplishing the same purpose in a local congregation here, a local congregation there, and a local congregation here, who work cooperatively, sharing resources, sharing members, being uncomfortable, working sacrificially to accomplish God's purpose. It's not walls that we need to be building. It's pathways and bridges to unite the body of Christ to accomplish his purpose. And what is the ultimate result of that? God is glorified. He ends that verse. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is God glorifying. When the world sees diverse churches working humbly and joyfully together, many people are led to give glory to a Father in heaven. They see a difference. And that's our goal, for people to see Christ in us, for God to be glorified in our lives. As we, united, make disciples. One of the easiest and best ways to do that. I say easiest. It's not always easy. But one of the vital foundation ways is simply to pray for one another. It is to approach the throne of grace. God calls us, gives us the privilege and the opportunity to use the instrumentality of prayer where we approach him and we make our request known to him and we make petitions and we pray that he intercedes using us, but using all of his resources to intercede on behalf of one another. Brother Matt.
close this out, we're going to have one more song after this too, is, is we just wanted to pray for some of the churches that we do partner with. Um, the great thing about Pendleton Street is I know, like I've never read your bylaws, I haven't seen your budget, but I know that they feel the same way that we do, uh, that you guys feel the same way that we do, that we're better together than we are apart. And I know that some of their money goes to support another church that's doing something somewhere else uh, that they can't do where they are. Same thing is true for us. We support uh, various churches that are doing things in places that we can't be, um, but we love them enough to give to them. It is a fixed line item in our budget that goes to them every month, but we also send people, we send prayers, we do those kinds of things. And so we've got uh, four of those churches between the two of us today that we're just going to throw up. We're going to talk about one thing that we need to pray for for that church. We'll give you uh, a few seconds or a little bit of time to pray for that church, um, and then we'll, we'll pray for that church, and we've got a couple people that are going to help us with that. Um, but here's the challenge, too. Like, think of these churches, and, and we talk about it openly. Like, if there's a church in our city that we support and that we trust with the way that they're handling the gospel, and you feel led to go and be a part of that church and help them do what they're doing, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to hug you. We're going to say thank you. We love you. Go and do that. Um, so if you see anything here and you, you feel like you want to move to West Greenville or move to Boston or move to TR uh, to support one of these churches, we'll, we'll applaud you in that if you feel like God's leading you to do that. Um, so this is you guys. If you want to